You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Let me ask you something. Is there something that's interfering with your happiness or is preventing you from achieving your goals? If so, BetterHelp Online Counseling is there for you. BetterHelp offers licensed professional counselors who are specialized in issues such as depression, stress, anxiety, relationships, grief, self-esteem, and more. You can connect with your professional counselor in a safe and private online environment. Anything you share is completely confidential and it's so convenient. So you can now get help on your own time and at your own pace. You can schedule secure video or phone sessions, plus chat and text with your therapist. And if for whatever reason you're not happy with your counselor, you can request a new one at any time and at no additional charge. And best of all, it is a truly affordable option. And if you're listening right now, you can get 10% off your first month with the discount code ROAM. So why not get started right now? Go to betterhelp.com slash Rome and fill out a simple questionnaire and then get matched up with a counselor that you will love. Once again, betterhelp.com slash Rome. Use the code name Rome and get 10% off your first month. Betterhelp.com slash Rome. Don't up to me or just represent the absolute epitome and pinnacle of things that you should stay away from. Because let's face it, donuts have absolutely zero nutritional value whatsoever. Don't believe the lies and stay away from donuts. Your life will be better, I promise. What's cracking, y'all? Welcome to the original Side Hustle, the Jim Rohn Podcast, now 88 episodes deep. Now, the fact is, today's guest and today's ep is the reason why I started this pod, because there are certain people that I want to chop it up with and certain things that I want to do that I simply could not do on my daily radio slash TV show. Namely, have a long-form conversation with an individual like this. Because frankly, there really aren't any individuals quite like today's guest. He spent 20 years in the armed forces. He's a retired Navy SEAL, the lieutenant commander of SEAL Team 3 in Iraq, a Silver Star and Bronze Star recipient, a black belt in jiu-jitsu, a best-selling author. He's a podcaster. He's an entrepreneur. And he still rolls out of the rack every single morning, no later than 4.30, so he can hit the gym and get some. Of course, I'm talking about the one and only Jocko Willink. And I could not be more hyped than I am to finally get this done. We have been efforting this one for a very long time. So lock it in because F88 starts right now. All right, so I've been talking this episode of The Pod Up on the radio program, my daily show for quite some time, saying how hyped I was for it, but I would not mention my guest by name for fear of jinxing it, but here we are. He was a Navy SEAL, a lieutenant commander. He did a couple of tours of Iraq. He led the SEAL Team 3's task unit bruiser. He was a silver and bronze star recipient to boot. He's a celebrated author. He's a podcaster. He's an entrepreneur. He is Jocko Willink. Jocko, it is great to have you on. Great to meet you. Thanks for doing this. How are you, Jocko? Doing good. Thanks for having me on, Jim. Appreciate it. Jocko, I appreciate it too. So we're talking about a great military career. You got to take me back. Why did you want to join the military and what were you like when you first went in? Well, I wanted to join the military ever since I was a little kid. Ever since I can remember wanting to do anything, I wanted to be some kind of commando. You know, I had little little uh, military soldiers around my room when I was a little kid. I had little commandos with with rubber rafts that would with grappling hooks that they would throw up cliffs. And this is what I kind of envisioned when I saw those little, those little army men when I was a kid, that's what I wanted to do. 
So when I got done with high school, I enlisted in the Navy. I'd heard about the SEAL teams. I'd heard it was really hard training. I heard that they were going to, to war and they were going to be in the front. And so that's what I wanted to do. And I, I was, that being said, I was a pretty rebellious kid. I was, you know, kind of a, a anti-authoritarian as a kid, which kind of, I guess, is is a little bit the opposite of what you'd expect for someone that wants to join the military. But I was just had a rebellious streak, so I was into hardcore music and heavy metal music, and I did a lot of things that I probably shouldn't have done when I was a kid. But as soon as I enlisted in the Navy, you know, they give you a they give you a clean slate. No one cares about your past when when you join the military. They just care about what you're going to do now. And as soon as I realized that, I just started trying to be a good, be a good uh, sailor in the Navy. Very quickly went to basic underwater demolition SEAL training, and from there just tried to be a good SEAL, and that's what I spent my career doing. All right, you mentioned music. I want to talk about the music in a minute, but as an example, like like your old man, what did your dad say when he found out that you joined up? When my dad, when I told my dad I just enlisted in the Navy, my my dad told me I was going to hate it. <laughs> He told me, you, you hate authority and you hate listening to people and you're not going to like it in the military at all. And of course, being a young, ignorant kid, I said, no, dad, I'm going in the SEAL teams. It's a team. You don't have to listen to anyone. You work together as a team, which is, which is an ignorant statement because when you're in the SEAL teams, you are in the military and you do have a chain of command and you do have to, you do have to listen to the chain of command and make things happen. So my dad uh, didn't have high hopes for me, but... <laughs> You know, once I realized what the job was, I did, did it to the best of my ability. All right, so Jocko, I think plenty of people listening right now have seen all the docs about Hell Week and guys running around on the beach carrying boats and freezing in the water. You tell me, what, what was the common thread of the guys who survived that week and advanced, and what was the common thread of the guys who did not? Um, the people that made it through didn't quit, and the people that didn't make it through, they quit. <laughs> and Pretty that's simple. really the only common thread. And the reason I say that, and it sounds like uh, kind of a flippant answer, but the bottom line is there is no common thread. There's, there's other than that, because I had guys in my SEAL training class that I had one guy that was the, the like a, a, a UCLA water polo player, just an incredible athlete, team captain, and a total stud. I had another guy that was an Olympic gymnastics alternate just another total stud i was like a a mediocre high school athlete i played soccer and basketball i wasn't great at either one of them anyways i made it through the training and both of those guys quit and so what what does that tell you it tells you that yeah it's definitely there's there's some mental game that you have to have but it also tells you that there's there's no real common thread because what it boils down to there's some people that are going to go to that training and they're going to quit, and there's some people that aren't. And most of the people that aren't going to quit are going to make it through. And, you know, occasionally you do have guys that get dropped from the program because they physically can't handle it, meaning they get stress fractures from running or they get shoulder injuries or from doing pull-ups and push-ups, and, and they just, they, their body is not made for it. And there's some people that just physically they're not strong enough, so they can't do rope climbs or they can't finish the, the runs on time. But generally it's people that – you know, they, they find what your weakness is. You know, if you're not good in the water, the water will eat you alive. If you're not good being cold, you're going to be cold until you quit. So they find out what your weaknesses are, and they exploit them. But, you know, the big, biggest point that I always try to make about basic SEAL training is it's not really that big of a deal. 
And if you want to make it through and you are an okay, you know, kind of average athlete going through whatever, high school sports, you have the physical capability of making it through. You do a bunch of push-ups. You stay awake a lot. You get cold and wet, but it's not really that big of a deal, especially when you compare it to what it's like being in the SEAL teams, going on deployments, and, you know, putting your life at risk for the nation. All right, so you make it through, and you have this really decorated military career, and then you get out, and then you think you're retired. Like, I got to know, as disciplined and regimented as you are, what did retirement look like to you, like, theoretically? I mean, were you going to work out, surf, hang out with the fam, go on tour with Black Flag? What was the Jocko retirement supposed to look like, especially at a young age? Yeah, so, yeah, I was just 39 years old, and I retired, and yes, you actually completely called my plan. You know, I live in Southern California. I love jujitsu. I surf. I play guitar. I got four kids, a wife and four kids. So, yes, my plan was to surf, do jujitsu, hang out, work out, you know, spend time with my family. And I did zero of that because <laughs> before I even retired, I started talking to companies about leadership. And as soon as I started t- talking to companies about leadership, that, that whole idea and that whole concept of, of leadership that I had learned in the military and in the SEAL teams and on the battlefield, it just took a hold with people, and it, it turned into something that, that grew beyond anything I, I would have imagined when I was still in. All right, so as an example, you have a company. Excellent. How did that start? So, like I said, just before I retired, I, I had a friend that was the CEO of a company, and he said, hey, I want you to come and talk to my executives about, about combat leadership. And I, you know, said, sure, I'll do it. So I went and talked to his executives. I I pretty much gave those executives the same brief that I would give the young SEAL officers about leadership and how to lead. And when I got done talking to his executives, the CEO came up to me and said, "I, I want you to do this for every division that I have in the company. And I said, okay, but I'm kind of retiring. And he said, well, I'll give you money. (laughs) And that seemed like a good idea. So I started doing the same kind of instruction for the rest of the company, the rest of these divisions. And at one of those divisional meetings, the CEO of the parent company was there. And as soon as I got done briefing, the CEO of the parent company company came up to me and said, you know, I've got 45 companies and I want you to come and talk to all the CEOs of all my companies. And I said, okay. And once I went and did that, a bunch of those CEOs said, hey, I want you to come and talk to my company. I want you to come and talk to my company. I want you to come and talk to my company. At this point, I needed some help and support. My, one of the guys that worked for me in the Battle of Ramadi, a guy named Leif Babin, I said, hey, man, I need some fire support over here. You want to you come and start you know, talking about leadership with companies? And he, and he was just getting out of the Navy, so we joined forces, and that was the beginning of Echelon Front right there. And, Jocko, as somebody who's done a lot of interviews, it's my job to follow you up and ask you about leadership, which I'll do in a little bit. But I, I have to ask you about the book that you've written called Discipline Equals Freedom. And it, honestly, it really is. It's one of the best books I've ever read, and I've read it five times already. And the concepts in the book, Jocko, are really, really simple. They're not easy, but they're simple. So let me cut right to the chase for those who don't know the book or haven't read the book. How do you become stronger, smarter, faster, and healthier? In other words, how do you become better? What you have to do is you have to do the work. That's what you have to do. You have to have the discipline to do the work. And that's, you know, that, that's a question that I got asked over and over again. And that's basically why I ended up writing the book, Discipline Equals Freedom Field Manual, because people would see the way I live my life. They'd see what I'm doing. They'd see the, the productivity that I have. And they'd say, well, what are you doing? How, what's, your, what's your hack? What's your trick that you do? 
And, you know, I'd be telling people over and over again, there's no trick. There's no hack. You, you know, if you want to be stronger, you know what you have to do? You have to lift weights. If you want to be faster, you know what you have to do? You have to run. If you want to be smarter, you know what you have to do? You have to read and you have to write. And you have to listen. If you want to be more healthy, what do you have to do? You have to eat the right foods. There is no hack. What you have to do is you have to have the discipline. You have to put in the work and you have to live that way every day. And again, that's a, that's a book. Uh, when, when I kind of put that book together and had the kind of finalized product and it was about to launch, I, I was talking to my, my publisher and my, my publisher, he says, I've never, there's, he said, there's no other book like this in the world. And he says, I've never taken a bigger risk on a book because nothing like this exists. There's no model for it. No one's ever published any book that looks anything like this in any way or reads anything like this. And so it was a big risk for the publisher, and it ended up being a great risk because they, they, the sales of the book kind of blew out any model that they had for how the book was going to sell. So it's been, it's been very well received, which is cool. And what it tells me is that people wanted the truth about how you actually do these things. How do you actually, as you said, how do you get better? The way you get better is you put in the work, and, and that's what you have to do. You know, you know, it's interesting, too, and the point being there is no – almighty life hack. There is no shortcut. There is no hack. You have to do the work. But it does sound kind of counterintuitive, right, on the surface. Like, discipline sounds like the opposite of freedom. So why does discipline actually equal freedom? This is something that I learned when I got in the SEAL teams. If you, when I looked at the individuals that had a lot of respect as being very good SEAL operators, it was the guys that put in the work. It was the guys that had discipline. It was the guys that showed up early for work every day. It was the guys that, that did the extra repetitions on their shooting drills. It was the guys that had discipline that ended up being better. And so what that, what that really translates to is they had more freedom. Because when you have a lot of respect as a SEAL operator, there's no one micromanaging you. There's no one telling you what to do. They're expecting you to do your job, and they give you the freedom to do it. And then that idea translates into, into everything. And the two examples that I always give that are very common, which no one can really argue with, is, of course, everyone wants financial freedom. And, the, and there's not a person in the, that I've spoken to that hasn't said of, uh, that they don't want financial freedom. Well, the question, how do you get financial freedom, is a, is a pretty straightforward answer. The way that you get financial freedom is to have financial discipline. It's to save your money. It's to work hard to, to make more money, put in overtime. It's to invest your money properly. It's to have the discipline not to buy the stupid things that you don't even need. And if you have that kind of financial discipline, you will end up with financial freedom. That's, that's one example. Another example is free time. Of course, everybody wants more free time. And how do you get more free time? The way you get more free time is by having more disciplined time management. It's, you have the discipline to wake up early in the morning. You have the discipline to have a schedule. You have a discipline to stick to the schedule. You have the discipline to say no to the things in your life that are actually not benefiting you in any way but are just eating up your time. And, and the, the example I use for that all the time is YouTube. Because, sure, you can get some informational videos on YouTube, absolutely. And then they put up nine more videos to you for you to select from, and the next thing you know, you've clicked into, you know, 14 of those other videos, and you've wasted 40 minutes of your day watching stupid videos about cats or whatever. And so if you, if you impose discipline on your time, the way you manage your time, you will absolutely end up with more free time. 
So in those examples, that is exactly how you put discipline in your life. You'll end up with more freedom. All right, so Jocko, follow me on this, and I want to read you a passage from the book. I love this. You've got this passage about mind control, and it's not controlling other people's minds. It's controlling your own. And you write, quote, people ask me, how do I get tougher? Be tougher. How do I wake up early in the morning? Wake up early. How do I work out consistently every day? Work out consistently every day. How do I stop eating sugar? Stop eating sugar. And then you go on to say you can even control your emotions. How do I stop missing the girl or guy who ever broke up with me? Stop missing them. So let me ask you, how does that work? I mean, is is there an actual process or is it simply a decision you make? Like if you're jacked up emotionally over something, can you just tell yourself that's not how it's going to be? That's not going to hurt? Is there a process or just a decision? a mindset? Well, it's definitely a decision, and it's definitely a mindset that is a decision that you have to make. That you, <laughs> How do you wake up early in the morning? Like, I don't get some, some, some shot in the arm when I wake up in the morning that all of a sudden makes me feel hyper-motivated to go and do things. You know, I'm, I'm a normal human being that's in bed. It's comfortable. I got the, the nice, like, warm uh, uh, cover over me, and I got a nice soft pillow. And guess what? I don't want to get out of bed, but I do. So that's what you do. That's how you move forward. And people just, you just have to not negotiate with weakness, not rationalize the reasons why, you know, there's a million reasons why you, you can tell yourself you should stay in bed or why you, it's okay to eat this chocolate chip cookie or this donut or whatever. That there's a million reasons you can give yourself, but you know what the truth is and you need to stick with your truth. Now, when it comes to the emotional stuff, you know, I, I, on my podcast, I have to, I, I, answer questions from people. And I certainly have gotten this question many times about, you know, how do you get over, over someone that, that, that's broken up with you? And, and actually, I have a, a little process around this. And the, and the process is you have to look at that person that dumped you and you have to re- recognize that, that the person that you picture them to be is not that person. You, you have a fantasy built in your, up in your head of who that person is and this beautiful life that you were going to have together, and it's really easy to get emotional about that. The reality is that person doesn't exist. The person that exists is the person that dumped you. The person, the person that exists is the person that doesn't want to be with you. So you need, to set, you, need to, you need to bifurcate the reality from your fantasy, and then you need to let your emotions realize what the reality is and move forward, because otherwise you can sit there and keep can, keep continuing to believe that this could have gone right and this was the person that I really wanted. It's like, no, you're lying to yourself. Stop lying to yourself. Face what the reality is. Cut that away and then move on. Now, Jocko, I I appreciate this. Now, you, I'm curious your response to this because I know you hear this too. Like, yeah, easy for you to say you're you. You're fucking Jocko. You're an animal. You're different. I know you hear this. I know you do. What is your response to that? I do. I absolutely hear it. And you know, when I first started hearing that, I first started hearing that from my kids, you know, before, while I was still in the SEAL teams, you know, before any of this books or any of this other stuff, I would be talking to my kids about something and they, and they would, you know, give me that look of, well, well, that's because you're you. And it, the, the, the reality is, yes, I am me. And I'm a human being like everyone else. I have the same emotions, the same desires, the same weaknesses as everyone else, probably more. And, and once you recognize that, if I was running around saying, hey, I'm superhuman, I mean, believe me, first of all, it'd be a lie. <laughs> it'd be a big, giant lie. I'm, I'm more human than anyone else. And what, what I do do is decide that I'm going to 
as, as you quoted earlier, I'm going to control what my mind does. I'm not going to allow my mind to control me. I'm going to take control. I'm running the machine here. I'm going to make the decisions on what we're going to do, on what I'm going to do. I'm not going to allow it to, I'm not just going to allow things to unfold. I'm not going to allow my life to unfold the way it unfolds. No, I'm actually going to, going to dictate the situation. I'm going to make things the way I want them to be. And can I control everything? Absolutely not. No one can. So what can I control? The things that I can control, I'm going to do my best to get control of them and to control them. The things that I cannot control at all, the things that I have no control over, which usually is a lot less than people think, but the things that I have no control over, I don't worry about them because I can't control them. I can't impact them. I mitigate them to the best of my ability, but other than that, I focus on the things I can control and do the best I can there. But yeah, I'm absolutely human and so is everyone else. Come check my blood. It's the same. <laughs> All right, Jocko, out of respect to your time, and I want to keep going, but I'm going to pick my spots very carefully. You mentioned your kids. I want to talk about your kids, my kids, and everybody's kids in a minute. I definitely want to talk donuts. But let me ask you this. Like, say you're a 40-something, a 40-something-year-old guy, and frankly, your life did not turn out the way you had hoped, or your life did not turn out the way it should have. You haven't spent the last few decades doing the right thing, making the right choices. Simply, you're not who you thought you were going to be, is it too late now? What do you tell that person? I mean, co- clearly the answer is, of course, it's not too late. And you've got story after story of people that have started at age 49, started at age 53, and they've, they've turned their lives into something hugely successful. Uh, you know, even I was talking to a guy this morning, and, you know, he's, he's worried about where he is financially right now. And he's 15 years younger than me. I'm like, you have a 15-year head start of me. I didn't, I didn't start making any money until I retired from the Navy. Like, before that, I mean, that, that's the way it is. When you're in the military, you don't join the military to make a bunch of money. And I, and I certainly didn't make a bunch of money while I was in the military. I was smart with the money that I did make. But so, so when are you going to start? Well, you know when you're going to start? You start today. That's when you start. And you might have to dig yourself out of a hole. Cool. Start filling that hole in. You know, let's start making progress today. And the decisions that you make today are going to impact tomorrow. And, and so, yeah, when do you start? You start here and you start now. All right, so now you've written and talked about extreme ownership in detail. So I need to own something right here in front of you. Until I started to read and listen to you, I got to be honest, Jocko, I thought donuts were pretty freaking awesome. Like some of the best shit ever. I know you don't quite see it that way. When you see a donut, what do you see and what do they represent? So donuts to me just represent the absolute um, epitome and pinnacle of things that you should stay away from. Because let's face it, donuts have absolutely zero nutritional value whatsoever. They are purely made to, to, to taste good and give you, give you nothing but uh, make you fat and unhealthy. So when I see a donut, I, I just get angry that, that there's a donut. And what I find funny is... You know, I, I work with businesses all over the country and, and internationally as well. And, and what's funny is, for some reason, people, donuts make people feel so immediately gratified that people just bring donuts into the office and give them away to everyone for free. And, and yeah, I'm not a big fan of donuts. Stay away from donuts. Hey, Sorry Jocko. there, uh, Krispy Kreme. Jocko, they're free. What are you supposed to do? Like, they're free. And hey, what do you make? What do you make of so many of us getting our ass kicked by donuts that frequently the will of a human being is not stronger than the will of a sprinkle donut? <laughs> yeah, that's I, that's the uh, the I, I made a I talk about that. You know, it's psychological warfare. And and the and what the what donuts are is donuts are sugar coated lies. That's all they are, and they're lying to you. 
with their with their beautiful taste and their jelly filled center. So don't believe the lies and stay away from donuts. Your life will be better. I promise. It's summertime, obviously the best time of year, except for one thing, those annoying insects, the bugs, the flies, they're invading your home, they're taking over. I mean, who knows where those flies were last, right? That fly that landed on your hamburger could have been just about anywhere. From another piece of food to, well, you see me working. This is why I want to thank my pals over at Dynatrap. Dynatrap is the leading manufacturer of outdoor mosquito and insect traps. And now on top of that, they have come up with a solution for indoor pests, the Dynatrap Fly Light. The Dynatrap Fly Light works day and night to attract and trap flies. Also, fruit flies, mosquitoes, other pesky insects. It works. I've got one. I love it. I mean, you're not still rocking those disgusting fly strips like the nastiest thing ever. The Dynatrap Fly Light looks like a subtle nightlight, and it plugs into any indoor outlet. You should get yours right now at Dynatrap.com. That's D-Y-N-A-T-R-A-P.com. Enter the promo code ROAM. Get 15% off any of their great products. Dynatrap, the safe, silent, and simple solution to household insect control. Jocko, you and I have a couple of mutual friends, actually. Brian Koppelman and David Levine, who created the Smash TV show Billions. Man, these guys absolutely love you. I know David loves the book, uh, Discipline Equals Freedom. You were, they were so hyped to have you on their show, and to me, it's one of the great shows ever. I got to know, what did you think when they reached out to you, and what was the experience like? It was really cool. When they reached out to me, uh, which they did through Tim Ferriss, who, who they knew— and so, you know, they got in touch with me and said, hey, do you want to be on the show? I've never been, done anything like that before. I hadn't watched Billions. And so, I, you know, I, I, Tim, when Tim asked me to do something, you know, Tim's a, a great guy and he's done a lot for me. And he said, hey, this is a good opportunity. I said, cool, yeah, I'll do it, of course. And it was a cool experience for sure. It was, and, I, and so I said, okay, I'll watch a couple of the shows to kind of to see what it's about. And, of course, as you said, it's a brilliant show. The, the writing is incredibly – the writing is incredible. It's a, it's a great show. And so I ended up watching uh, – I, I watched the entire show, not, not before I filmed it. I, had, I wasn't aware of everything that was going on. But uh, the experience was really cool. The experience was cool to, to see that side of the world. I mean, it's crazy how much goes into those shows. I, I, you know, I was probably on the screen for 30 seconds, and, and, I, and I filmed two, like, 13-hour days to, to make those couple little short things, delivering the same line over and over again. I know you've done some stuff like this, too. So it's surprising to see how much goes into it. I figured, you know, maybe you do something two or three times, but you literally will do the same 20-second line, and you'll do it 30, 40, 50 times. It's, it's kind of crazy. I was definitely I was not aware of how much goes into it. But, yeah, Brian and David were, were great guys, and the rest of the cast and crew was super, super cool, and it was, it was cool to do. And, and it's uh, definitely an epic show, and I, it, was, it was a cool opportunity to be a part of it. Yeah, I'm glad that went that well for you. That's an amazing show. Now, we have another mutual friend, and this is really interesting to me, world champion drag racer Cruz Pedregon. You've got a business association with him. What is that? How did that come to be? How did you connect with him? Yeah, so, you know, I've got a, I've got a supplement company, and we're, we're making supplements – and one of the supplements that we're coming out with is, but it's hard to even call it a supplement. We, we've, you know, everyone likes energy drinks, and, but the thing is energy drinks are, are absolutely horrible for you. 
And so I wanted to come up with something that would taste good and give you energy, but not be like a, 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 uh, something that's just awful for you. Something that literally kills people sometimes. So, uh, my team, my supplement team, we came up, we put together a formula and we're releasing a, uh, an energy drink. And again, I hate to even call it an energy drink because it's, it's actually has very little in common with most energy drinks. You know, it doesn't have sugar in it, but it's, it's sweetened with monk fruit. So it's, it's a really good product. And, yeah, the, the, the team there, just we, we connected. Um, they connected with my team, and, and we put together a deal. And so, yeah, now we're uh, sponsoring their car. What is it? Uh, I don't know how many, 11,000 horsepower or something like that. So pretty awesome. You're about that kind of power. Now, you play guitar. You've got a band. I saw you, Jocko, tweet that you were going to go see the Cro-Mags and the Misfits. Where did you see them? How was that? It was up in L.A. It was up in L.A. Um, at the Bank the bank of California. And, yeah, it was great seeing the Misfits and the Cro-Mags. It was, it was great. I mean, you know, the Misfits are one of the kind of iconic punk bands from all time. And the Cro-Mags was a, was a band that I grew up with listening to East Coast Hardcore, they were, they were a very influential band on me when I was a kid. I, I must have listened to their first couple albums thousands and thousands and thousands of times. I'm, I'm friends with the, the founder of that band and the, and the singer and the bassist, uh, Harley Flanagan. So it was, it was cool. It was, always good. it was always good to see people like that that are going strong after all these years. Right. Jocko, a few things before you go. Like, when you think punk music, you think total rebellion. But let me ask you this. Like, when you were growing up, did you like the way it sounded, or did it kind of appeal to you? Like, is there a message of discipline in the music? Well, I mean, certainly you mentioned, you know, you mentioned Black Flag earlier, and all that hardcore music. I mean, that, that hardcore music, sure, it's about rebellion, and, and, I, and I certainly, as I said, had a rebellious streak, and I, and I still have a rebellious streak, and, I, and I'll tell you, in the military, my rebellious streak served me very well, not because I was rebellious over things that were, were, were insignificant, but when something was important and it didn't make sense, I had the courage to say, hey, you know, I, I'm not sure I agree with this. And I wasn't a jerk about it. I wasn't, I wasn't disrespectful, but I didn't have a problem standing up and, and speaking my mind when it made sense to. So that attitude, as far as I'm concerned, that's an American attitude of, hey, if we don't believe in something or we see a better way to do something, we're going to stand up for it. Now, uh, you know, I have to throw this caveat. This doesn't mean that you run around and do everything your way. No, you have to build relationships, and that's one of the most important things you can do is being, in being part of a team is to build relationships with people on your team up and down the chain of command. So when I talk about being rebellious, I'm not talking about being a jerk and being disrespectful. But when there are things that don't make sense, you have to have the courage to say something about it. And so I'd say that the attitude I got from you know, heavy metal music and hardcore music and punk rock music growing up was that right there. Number one, it's like, hey, we're going to do things ourselves. We're going to take ownership of things. You know, that's the, the crazy thing about the, that kind of music. Guess who made that music? Guess who produced that music? Guess who published that music? It was all like the bands themselves. It was that kind of attitude of ownership. And then, yeah, we're going to rebel against things. Uh, but to me, it's only when it makes sense. To me, that's an American attitude, and it comes through that music, and it, it definitely served me well. Right. Now, you mentioned your kids. Like, for instance, it would seem to me, like, if you, if you have a grasp of these concepts that you and I are talking about and what you're teaching, you know what you should do, really? You should have a series of books for kids, Jocko. Have you thought about that? Uh, yes, I uh, appreciate it. Yeah, I, I absolutely you know, the, the, the more that I got out there talking to other human beings, 
the more I realized that some of the lessons I had learned that were super valuable, the earlier I could get them to kid to people, the better they would understand them. And so, yeah, I wrote a, I've written a series of books for kids, uh, the, the way of the warrior kid series. And it's, it's been crazy to see how that, how those books have impacted kids, the popularity that they have, the feedback that I get from them. And it's, it's been, uh, it's been incredible. I, I would say my, you know, some of the most rewarding things I've done in my life is, getting feedback from, you know, a kid that was getting bullied or a kid that didn't know how to study properly or a kid that was out of shape and all of a sudden, you know, he or she is doing pull-ups or he's, you know, fighting off bullies or he's learning jujitsu or she's, you know, getting an A on a math test. When I get little, I get little letters from kids, you know, that are seven years old, 10 years old, 13 years old that explain to me how those books have impacted and had a positive change in their life. And man, when I get those things, it's like, it's, it's, one of the most rewarding things I've ever experienced. That's as good as it gets. Listen, about jiu-jitsu, I was going to ask you about that. You're a huge jiu-jitsu guy. Why is that such an important part of your life and your training? Man, to me, jiu-jitsu is one of the most fundamentally rewarding things, but not only just rewarding, it's, a, it, it's in very impactful. It's impactful the way it, it allows you to have confidence it allows you to get a good workout. It allows you a new way of thinking. And this is the thing for me. So, you know, I was, I was in the SEAL teams. I was a leader in, in the SEAL teams in combat, and I was doing jiu-jitsu. And jiu-jitsu is the thing, when I look back at my life and look for a thread that tied all of my thoughts together, it was jiu-jitsu. So with jiu-jitsu, for instance, you know, you can't just, if I try and choke you and I just grab your neck and try and choke you, you just defend it because that's, it's, it's obvious what I'm trying to do. So you just pull my hands away from your neck and now that choke has been defended. And, and so what you have to do is you have to set things up. You have to use indirect attacks. You know, I might, I might grab your arm and make like I'm going to break your arm. And when you go to defend your arm, then I grab your neck and choke you. Well, it's the same thing with on the battlefield. If there's a, if there's an enemy position, that's defended, I don't attack straight into those defenses. No, I lay down some cover fire and I maneuver around from the flank and I hit them from another angle that they didn't expect. That's the same concept from jiu-jitsu. And then in leadership, if I'm dealing with, let's say I'm dealing with someone that's got a big giant ego, I don't attack their ego and tell them, hey, you know, you just got a big ego and that's why you're not listening to me. No, I don't do that because they're going to actually defend that position even more. Instead, what I'll do is I'll kind of massage their ego and I'll come in from the flank and plant my idea in their head and make them think it's their own. And so all these ideas, all these concepts, they all, for me, I started to see them all because of my understanding of jiu-jitsu. So for me, jiu-jitsu has played a huge role in my life. It still does today. And yeah, I'll, I'll never stop doing jujitsu. All right, so let me ask you this: Is, in your opinion, is it just for you and some, or is jujitsu literally for everybody? I believe that jujitsu is for everybody, and you know, I, I talk about jujitsu a lot on my podcast, and I've had so many people that have started jujitsu, whether they're sixty years old, whether they're forty-three years old, and they've haven't worked out since they graduated from high school, whether they're male female, adults, kids, and almost all the time, people, you know, they'll, they'll hit me up on social media and said, just tried my first jiu-jitsu class. It was crazy. I can't wait to go back. I've probably had, I think I've had two people that have come back and said, I don't like it. And I get it because it's very humbling. 
it's a full contact. Like you, you think basketball and football are a contact sport? Like, sure, you're going to hit each other. You're going to you're going to rub up against each other. Jiu-jitsu is full on contact. I mean, it is it is a full contact sport. You are very you're absolute close quarters with people, and some people don't like that. Now, if you don't like that, guess what? You should actually face that. You should get over it. Uh, but yeah, so there's occasionally there's people that don't like it, but generally when people try it and they're looking for the right thing in it, if you're if you're if you're looking, if you go into it with an open mind and you go with a humble mind, you're gonna, you're gonna, generally, you're gonna like it. I and I say, think it is for everybody. I was gonna say, Jocko, people don't like it because it's hard and it's humbling and it makes you uncomfortable. So then a final thought, because you mentioned leadership I and mean, you've devoted a huge part of your life to thinking about and teaching others how to lead. And I know you've been asked a million times, but why don't we just end this with this? Here it is again. What makes a great leader? Who was the type of leader that got the most out of you and the type of leader who you least wanted to follow? The best leaders, and this is, this again, you talked about things being counterintuitive. One of the most counterintuitive things is that the really great leaders, they're humble people. And the really bad leaders are the ones with the big, giant egos. And that's, that's just the way it is. You know, the person that's humble... The leader that's humble, he's open to your ideas. He's listening to his troops. He's, he's got an open mind about the way things can be done. He, when something goes wrong, instead of blaming other people, he takes ownership of the problem. Like People ask me about ownership and what's the biggest obstacle in, in, in getting people to take ownership. The biggest obstacle in getting people to take ownership is their own ego because no one likes to say, hey, you know what, Jim, we failed this operation and it was my fault and here's why. Nobody likes to say that. So, and when you've, when you've got a boss that says, hey, guys, this wasn't my fault. This was your all's fault. No one respects that boss. So the best bosses that I worked for were the, the bosses that were humble. Now, can you go too far with this? Yes, absolutely. Do you need to have some level of ego and pride and confidence as a leader? Absolutely you do. And, and you know, that's the dichotomy of leadership, which I wrote another book about, is, is to say that every, just about every characteristic that you have as a leader, you need to be balanced in it. You know, if you're, if you, you need to be aggressive as a leader. Absolutely. If you're hyper aggressive or over aggressive, that'll get your people killed. If you're not aggressive enough, you're going to stand around and you'll also get killed, but you'll, you'll, you'll give away your position to the enemy and they'll come and attack you. You know, so you've got to balance all these dichotomies. And one of the ones that has to be balanced is, is humility. But generally what you see with leaders is they believe their own, their own crap. And they start to think that they're, that they can't make any mistakes. Their ego gets out of control, and that's why they need to always be reminded, myself included, you got to stay humble. Mm. So, Jocko, what about the band? Do you, guys, do you guys jam in public venues? Is it just something you do privately? What do you do with the band? <laughs> yeah, we, we, we play, and we have a little studio that we jam, um, you know, usually like a Friday or Saturday night. We'll get together, and we'll, we'll play some, some music. Now, I had, a band, I had a bunch of bands when I was a kid, and we've got actually one of my friends found uh, an old. We went in the studio and recorded. I, I, I hate to use this word because it's going to make it sound really official. We recorded an album when I was like 15 years old, and we have the re- the old school reel to reel tape. Wow. So we're going to try and get those uh, produced and and turned into. I'm going to try and release a couple songs from when I was a from when I was a young kid, and I think people will be. People won't be surprised because it kind of sounds, I'm saying the same crap then than I am now. <laughs> God, it's so good. Like, if finally then, like, do you, like, who did you listen to other than the hardcore stuff, like the Clash, the Jam, the Replacements, any of that shit? 
Yeah, I mean, uh, I was a huge Black Sabbath. Black Sabbath is de- definitely my, my, my favorite ba- band. But obviously, I listened to Black Sabbath, Led Zeppelin. You know, when I was a kid, people got, you know, when I was a kid in New England, you got issued the, the Led Zeppelin albums, <laughs> ACD, ACDC albums. So I, I liked those, you know, those kind of main staple kind of rock bands. But then, yeah, I listened to the Cro-Mags, the Bad Brains, Agnostic Front, like all those kind of hardcore bands from from the Northeast is primarily what I grew up listening to. Actually, last, 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 last thing. You mentioned the Northeast. Jocko, I've got family in Boston. Like, almost nobody makes it out. My old man did, but he was one of the only ones. Not that somebody was going to keep you from doing what you do, and you maybe got part of that Southern California lifestyle, but was that a hard thing to escape the Northeast, to escape New England? It's, it wasn't hard at all, because what I did was I signed my name on the dotted line, right. and the Navy took care of the rest. But, you know, I, I absolutely wanted to get out of there. When I was a kid, you know, I was from a small town. I grew up on a dirt road, and I wanted nothing more than to get out of that small town and see the world. And, of course, I look back now, and, you know, I, I really appreciate what you get in those, in those small towns. I, and, you know, I have, a, I have a factory up in Maine where we make where we make apparel and clothing and all that. And when I go up there to visit the factory and meet everyone that's up there, I mean, it's absolutely outstanding. And that, that old school New England work ethic, which to me also, that old school New England work ethic that I grew up with, you know, that kind of was infused in that hardcore mentality, that's still a real thing. And, and you know, it's not just a New England thing. It's, it's an American thing. And like I said, I travel all over the country. I work with companies all, in every different type of company. But, you know, Americans are some hardworking people. And that's one of the things that makes this country so awesome. I'm going to tell you what fascinates me about you, Jocko. I've been meaning to ask you this. You went to the University of San Diego. Man, I could not love that any more than I do. What was it like to be a Torero? Uh, geez, I was 28 years old. I was, I had one kid when I sh- I was married with one kid when I showed up at college. I had two more kids while I went to college. I was about as detached from the college scene as you could possibly imagine. I literally just went to, went to my classes, did my work, and that's about it. I, I had, I didn't have any kind of college experience like a normal person has, so... But, you know, I studied English. That was a, a good choice for me. That, that's, you know, the reason I picked English was because as a, as a SEAL, I realized that the most important thing I had to do as a SEAL officer was communicate with other human beings in, in writing and, and verbally. And so I, I knew that I wanted to have a good command of the English language, so I picked, you know, English as a major. And it, it certainly did help me out once I got back to the SEAL teams. And I was writing down concept of operations. I was writing down evaluations of guys' performances. And I had a good command of the English language. I was standing up and talking and presenting briefs to, you know, to generals and admirals and colonels. And since I had studied English, I, I think I did a better job than I would have otherwise. No, I get that. And San Diego is so great. I got my first big break in San Diego way back in 1990, moved down to Pacific Beach. Such a great community. Jocko, as you know, as you could tell by how hard I was chasing this conversation, this is one I really, really wanted to have. It even exceeded expectation. I've got great admiration and respect for you. Keep up the good work. Thank you for making time for me and for this podcast. I know people listening will get a charge out of it and they'll get so much out of it. And I really do appreciate it, Jocko. Hey, man, it's great to meet you. And and at some point, since you're in SoCal, we should actually link up and talk to each other face-to-face. I'd appreciate that. Jocko, you tell me when and you tell me where, and I will come to you. It'd be a thrill. Right, I would love to do that. It's going to be about 4.30 in the morning. I can promise you that. I'll be there, my man.
I'll be there. I'll be there at three thirty if you need it. I'll be there. Awesome. In an, I'll be there in an hour if you need it, Jocko. <laughs> Check. All right. Thanks so much, Jocko. All right, man. Good to talk to you. You too. There it is. Discipline equals freedom. Jocko equals instant podcast legend. Many thanks to my man for carving out the time he did for that conversation. And now all of you who didn't know why I was so hyped up before, now you do. Jocko Willink, if you need him. Make sure you give this dude a follow on Twitter. He's at Jocko Willink. That's at J-O-C-K-O-W-I-L-L-I-N-K. Blow up his mentions. Let him know what you thought of the episode. He's really active on social. He might even hit you back. And while you're still here, make sure you get subscribed. We have been doing nothing but bringing you the best guests for nearly two years now. So smash that subscribe button and never miss another ep. I appreciate that so much. Remember, Podcast Tuesday is now officially, once and for all, Podcast Wednesday. Going forward, we will do this every single Wednesday. Look for episode 89 and all future eps after that to drop on hump day. So I will see you next Wednesday. But until then, here are your voicemails. First new message. Yo, Romy, this is Dan from Lake Alpha, Florida. Just want to call in. Love to smack off. Glad you're keeping it going. Looking for 30. Love you. Message saved. Next message. Smagtastic. Brian, Northwest Arkansas. Zion vs. Barrett. First meeting. Earth shaking. Message deleted. Next message. What's up, Rome? It's Dr. Dave. Hope you're getting fat on your vacation. I'm trying to get thinner on my normal week here just ran a 5k and you know just like hawk i feel like crap afterwards later message deleted next message i'm okay with the canadians not winning the smack off because we have the larry ob trophy here in canada boom out of here message saved next message Hey, Pimp in the Box, this is David from Buffalo calling in about Matt Wolf on Sunday at the 3M Open. This kid comes right out of college. Six weeks ago, he was playing in the NCAAs. This kid wins his first PGA Tour event, locks up a two-year exemption. What a clutch way to finish. The kid's swing is different. It's a fresh approach. How about a teacher, man? This guy doesn't even tuck his shirt in. Message saved. Next message. Hello, Jim Rome. This is Lawrence from Springfield again. That dude in Buffalo. The guy that talks like he's a wrestler. That guy was amazing. Have a good one. Thanks for the show. Love it. Message saved. Next message. Hey, Jim, a couple of quick things. Steve, I'm a musician from uh, Santa Fe, California. I made it to the damn smack up at Fort Greene, which is a cool bar in Oakland. And I met, of all people, Parody Larry. He was there, but I took pictures of him, all that stuff, and uh, really cool guy. He had a chalkboard writing, you know, erasing and writing who, who we felt was in first place at the time. <laughs> it was really, really super cool. And one other thing, there's no way you ain't getting an Hall of Fame. That's a bad, sad joke that you're not in the right of Hall of Fame. You certainly will be. Message saved. You have no more messages.